Grumpy, I'm just straight to the point. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not bad. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Very good. Very good. Very good. Well, I um, you sit down. Nice to see you. I had the unfortunate privilege in one of the meetings to um, get caught up with all the Punjabi men to do the Punjabi dance. Unbelievable. If you know me, that's my worst nightmare coming to pass. And I discovered that it doesn't matter what culture you're in, if you haven't got rhythm, you haven't got rhythm. <laughs> it's simple, eh? <laughs> anyway, it is very, very good to see you. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you that we can gather together in the name of Jesus this morning. We honour you in this place. It is our privilege to lift you up, the King of all kings, the name above any other name, the one in whom all power resides, not only for our city and nation, but for the universe. I thank you so much that you've called us into relationship with you, and I thank you that we get to walk with you. Yeah, thank you, Father. We take a moment to still ourselves before you and make sure that you are the centre of all things. Yeah. 
Father, we command distractions to go this morning. And we choose to place our attention on you. We honour you this morning with our presence, but we also honour you with our praise and our worship and our coming together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, it is great to have you here. And uh, I trust that you will enjoy being with us. I know you're going to get something great out of the time that we spend together. So be ready. That'll be really great. A little side note, if you were going to do Faith 101 this morning, we're not doing it this morning now. And uh, we've decided that Wayne's message is really good instead of going to Faith 101. So stay in here. You'll get a lot out of what Wayne says. So that's, that's really, that'll be good. Um, church, can we give our guests a uh, welcome, please? Well, who has had a birthday or an anniversary in the last week? Wayne has. Come down with me, Wayne. Elton, are you here? I didn't see you coming. There he is. Happy birthday, bro. <laughs> Chris Hubbard, why are you sitting down when it was your birthday on Friday? Nice try, but come on. 33 years, that is worth a hand. Fantastic. Any other wedding anniversaries? How many years? 14 years, that's worth a hand as well. Brilliant. One, you started school. Fantastic. Let me shake your hand. Well done. Has it been a good week? Yeah, he's, he's eating his chocolate, he doesn't care. Very good. Church, can we stand and let's pray God's blessing over all of these wonderful people? Here we go. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favour, prosperity and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, Amen. Fantastic. Happy birthday. Happy wedding anniversary. Now I understand we have a video, so if you look to the screen. Worship is when you praise God and um, you just talk to Him um, and you spend time with Him. I think it's another form of talking to God. Um, I guess it's just glorifying God and sort of putting Him first. Praising God first. I reckon um, Worship is really just giving everything you do to God. Like sharing and like keeping your hands to yourself. Um, worship is talking to God in your own ways and literally doing anything, whether it's singing or dancing or praying, just talking to God. So worship, in my opinion, is how I live my life in a way that reflects the goodness of God. Three ways to worship is praying, manners, and being kind to each other. So people talk about like a sacrifice of worship, and so for me that would be like instead of playing video games or something, I might just sit down and like have some God time. Sticking your hand up and like 
going to the front of the church and just like praising it with all you got, like just giving it your all. Before we're going to sleep, we can um, like talk to him, and um, in the morning when we wake up, we can say good morning, God, and um, like when we have some problems at school and we don't know what to do, we talk to him. Because I guess it's our way of showing him that how we love him and how we respect him and how we think of him as our God and yeah. Because it's us connecting with him and showing that we're willing to talk to him. He likes um, people sharing. He delights in us because he made us. So it's, it's sort of nice when we sort of pay attention and like give back to him almost. I think he just likes talking and getting to know us more. Like, you're in your own little space and it's just you and him, nobody else. They said that worship um, means um, everything to them. Worship means God, worship means Jesus, worship means being part of a heavenly school. Um, worship means being God's um, descendants. My parents, they set time apart and they actually take time to worship and just be with them. They said that you can also worship God by um, understanding Him more and praying to Him. So the main one that came up was singing, like glorifying Him or just in your room, like silent, just yourself, just praying. They said, like, worship, I guess you can do it any time, um, whenever you want, on the way to school, just any time, really. That's cool, eh? Yeah. Fantastic. How are you going with the take-home questions, parents? Some great discussions with your children, I hope, your families around the table. What is this one? Let's see, don't forget this week's take-home question. What is it? What are values? What are church values? Very good. Be some good discussion there. If you're a parent and you've got no idea what church values are, just glance to the wall quickly and quietly. Take a note of it. It will help your discussion. Well, kids, you can go. Thank you, teachers. Have a great time. As the kids are on their way, there's a couple of things to remind you about this week. Jen, do you want to tell us about girls night? Good morning. We've got a girls night out tomorrow night, ladies. So it is 7.30 tomorrow night. We do uh, need your RSVPs so that we can cater for you. So if you could please uh, RSVP at the hub on your way out. If you do forget, then just uh, email the office and we will get that by the morning before we go shopping for food and, and set up. It's going to be a great night. Tomorrow night, 7.30, our theme is mental health. It's going to be an interesting evening. I'm going to enjoy the night together. Great. Thank you. Also, this Tuesday night at 7.30 is... Momentum Prayer. Momentum Prayer. Momentum Prayer. Momentum prayer. We are going to have a great time together as we pray. Please come out and pray. 7.30 this Tuesday night, if you've got an Activate group on normally, why don't you bring the whole group to pray? Just, you know, let me guess if now if it's more important than what you're going to do. Yes, it is. Bring the whole group to pray. It was being prophesied over us as a church two years in a row now. Build me a house of prayer. 
And uh, one of the things that's been at the top of my thinking lately is that Jesus told us to go make disciples. That includes us. And the main measuring marker of a disciple is obedience. That's it. doesn't have to get more complicated than that. It's obedience. God asked us to build him a house of prayer. Let's build him a house of prayer. Good? Fantastic. Boy, you go quiet when you talk about things like that. Yeah. So I know most, let's just be straight, most of you thinking there right now thinking, how can I get out of that? Surely I must have something else on that I could be doing instead. Um, Well, just stop it. Just stop it. Get into it. Come on, be here. Not the faithful few. The church. The church. Build me a house of prayer. All of us. And so come out and um, we'll take a roll. We'll know if you're not here. And I'll be forwarding it. Email jesus at activatechurches.com. These fellas never turned up. I won't really. But come on, come and pray. In a sense, it's the least you can do. In another sense, it's the most you can do. So be here, 7.30 Tuesday night. We will have a great time. Oh, that's wrong. At 7.30. But if you're here at 7, just start praying. Prepare the ground. And uh, it is 7.30, not 7. Well, as most of you know, I've been in India. And I just flew in um, last night. And um, uh, it was a, a good trip. I think, I think I accomplished the goals of the trip, which was to really help Pastor Surinder over there get connected with some more people and at a local level. And I think we have accomplished that. Time will tell whether he can retain the connections or not. But we made some good connections. But I just want to tell you, I was involved on the Friday with a graduation at the Bible College. And um, it was one of uh, 43 graduations that were happening around North India that week. And there were... Between the 43 graduations, 1,040 church planters released. And it was, it's exciting, I tell you. So I was there with Impart, uh, and and they've got a goal by 2030 of planting 100,000 churches in India. They have planted so far over 20,000. So it's not theory, it's it's happening. They're They're on target to make it. Very, very exciting what's happening there. And uh, I got part to, it got to be part of this graduation and um, it was very, very moving. And uh, I was invited to be with the, the faculty, I had to say some words, and uh, I was invited to be with the, the, the faculty. And the way the graduation started was that uh, we were to do a march past with all the students, with the students past all the congregation. And so they sort of march all around the building and they come in. And so I got to march in with all of these students that were graduating and they, we marched into the song um, Onward Christian Soldiers, which you know is an old song. Uh, but I tell you, I'll never hear that song again, the same way again. Yeah. It was an amazing experience. And for a lot of these guys, see what happens is they graduate, graduated on Friday, they've got one more week at college, then they're issued with their church planting kit. Bicycle, new Bible, and a notebook, I think it is. And they go. They go and plant churches. They go to villages, plant churches. They, they go to cities, wherever they, mainly villages. They go and plant churches. And um, they just go. That's what they do. 
And so when they sing about surrender, they, they mean it. And it was this incredible environment because it was, it was a celebration of great accomplishment. For many of them, it was the first thing they've ever accomplished ac- academically, was to get through Bible college. And they've accomplished that, and they get these certificates, and they're so proud of what they've accomplished. Yet at the same time, it had this great sense, or this solemn sense about it. Because for some of them, it'll be a one-way ticket. Persecution's on the rise in India, and uh, particularly with the current government. And it's, um, it's not always the government, uh, and often it's not the government that's causing the problem. It's actually the caste system that causes the problem, but the government's not speaking against it. That's the biggest problem. And um, they have stories of people they've sent out that have been martyred. So for some of these people, they know... They'll be praying it's not them, I guess, but they know it's a one-way ticket. And I couldn't help but sit there and look across the students. think about the price and then think about New Zealand it almost makes you feel ashamed to call yourself a Christian in New Zealand almost I think you know the, the, the sacrifice required to be a disciple of Christ in this country well maybe I'll sow the thought, the thought this morning are you actually a disciple of Christ because I don't think the cost is too much different, no matter which country you live in. Really does make you question, though, about the state of faith, the state of surrender, the state of willingness to give yourself to the call of Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning as we worship together as Wayne, and I haven't welcomed Wayne and Libby Sorry, I'll come back and welcome you in a moment. As Wayne brings a word this morning, I'm praying this morning that God will stir something in your heart, stir something in my heart about what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ because there's enough people in this room to change our city. Wherever, whenever, be like Jesus isn't a tagline. It's a mission. We've just simplified the Great Commission. Wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. Bring the goodness of the kingdom into the environment that we're in. And I pray this morning that you would allow God to get hold of your heart and that your journey of faith isn't a game, that it's not a good way to fill in an hour on a Sunday morning, hour and a half, but that you really allow God to capture your heart this morning and capture your imagination. And that when you leave, you'll be asking the question, what does a disciple of Jesus look like in Hamilton 2016? And that you'll walk that path. Anyway, allow God to do his thing. It is awesome to have Wayne and Libby with us today, all the way from Auckland. Thank you so much, guys. Really is a great privilege doing life with Wayne and Libby, and I thank you for sowing into us as a church. And uh, they ran workshop yesterday, and um, that was great, I heard.
talking to my lads in the middle of the night when I got home. But uh, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Why don't you lead us in worship this morning? stand in the presence of the King of Kings this morning. He's not a far off God. He's near. He's close. He's always there. So Father, we worship you this morning. We lift you up. We give you glory and honour and praise. Praise that is worthy of the King of Kings. We love you, Father.
know about you, but that makes me want to celebrate. Our God is so good. You know, John 8 talks about the fact that when the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. Completely, completely free. But we find that freedom when we, as Pastor Sharon said before, we just focus on Him. We set our attention, our affection. It's so easy to get caught up in atmosphere and miss that God is standing right in front of us this morning. He's here, He's near, He's close, He's a whisper away. So as we worship some more, come on, I want you to push past what you know, push past what you knew yesterday, push past what you came into even this morning with an expectation of and believe for more this morning because He wants to meet us. He wants to meet us. Here and now I surrender I am desperate for a moment with you a moment with you cause just a moment changes everything I am lost in your goodness I'm surrounded Just a moment in 
Don't want to wait. 
there for a moment and capture your thoughts capture what God's saying to you maybe you've been praying for an answer to prayer or he may be giving you the answer right now just capture it
recognise his answers. I have a friend who leads a church and he's a great guy and they've had a commercial building on their property empty for over 12 months. It's been a real issue for them and we recently got really stuck into it in prayer saying, God, we need an answer. This is crippling them financial, not financially. We need a breakthrough. And uh, he texted me just late last week and said, I've got an offer on the table for a lease. The only thing my leaders are saying, it's not enough money. I think, come on, don't miss the answer of God. I've been praying for a lease. And God's put a lease in front of you. It's not a bad lease, they just want more. Take the answer of God. You never know what's in it. Take the answer of God. Listen. Hear for the answer of God. He answers our prayers. He answers our questions. Provides our every need. Amen. Amen. How about we give Jesus a hand, eh? Let's say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence amongst us today. We honour you. We praise you. We don't take you for granted in any way. We lift you up in this place. We lift you up in this place. We lift you up in our hearts. Amen. Why don't you turn and say next to person next to you, that was awesome. And Wayne's about to be phenomenal. Well, again, it is great to have Pastor Wayne and Pastor Libby with us this weekend. And these guys really are legendary. You probably have no idea of the impact that they have uh, on the body of Christ around the globe. But it is very, very significant. So I feel very, very honoured that they have given us a weekend of their time to be here with us and to invest into us as a church, not only us, but at the workshop yesterday, there are a number of churches represented. So they're investing into the region. And it really is great to be able to, um, to be able to partner, to be able to work um, with friends in that regard. So Wayne, why don't you come and make yourself comfortable? <laughs> Goodbye and a big hand. Thank you. Awesome. Um, can you give your worship team a hand, please, Wendy? What a legend, man. Um, they provide this atmosphere for you guys every Sunday to come and bring your offering of praise and worship to your God. Uh, can I just remind you again that they, they don't worship on your behalf. They just provide an environment for you to be able to worship, and you bring your, you bring your praise and worship to God. And, um, and then it's, uh, we, it's amazing what God can do in, one, in that one moment. Hey, it's incredible what God can do in that one moment. Just when we reach that point of his heart. Have, did you notice that moment when it, turned from, when it turned from us kind of giving and then it turned around and we were receiving? <clears throat> Anybody? Just me? No? <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a real moment where it's like, man, he's really speaking to us now. That's the moment we all love, right? We're all looking for that moment. Yeah, we, we all love it, right? When we get to that moment in worship, it's like, ah, oh, yes, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been getting. But in order to get to that moment, we, we have to give first. 
So when the Bible says praise and worship, I, like, I think of it in the terms of James, when he says, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And praise for me is us drawing near to God, and worship is God drawing near to us. We have to go through praise to get to worship. We have to go through the sacrifice before we get to the receiving. We have to go through giving before we get to receiving. You feel, you feel me in the house today? Uh, you, when, when we go through praise, we, are, we don't expect anything back. When you walked in the building, I noticed that nobody charged you an admission price. <clears throat> Unless there's some racket going on that I don't know about. Right? Which means when you get in here, you shouldn't be, receiving to re- you shouldn't be expecting to receive a product. But God paid an imp- incredible price for you to be able to come into his presence this morning. So we should be the one giving to him. And then when we give in praise, and all he asks is that we come into his presence, we come with praise, we come into his gates with Thanksgiving. It's common courtesy just to walk into his presence and say, hey, thanks for that whole salvation thing. <laughs> right? And then once we enter in with praise and with thanksgiving, and then we push through this little veil, and we get into that place where then he draws near to us in worship. And when we, start, when we start getting into that worship moment, all of a sudden we're receiving from him. You feel his presence start to manifest. But it, it takes work to get there. Sometimes that whole, I'm a, I get scared in church today when people come in looking for the worship moment without expecting to give anything first. Because then it's all about me, me, me. I want the buzz. I mean, I love the buzz. I'm, that, I'm the melancholic, woeful muso who loves that moment. You know, I'm, an, I'm awesome at feeling sorry for myself. <clears throat> and so praise helps me not to feel sorry for myself. Praise, praise beats guilt. Praise beats pride. Praise allows us to lay all that stuff down, and then when we get into his presence, then we can receive. And we love that moment. Why? Because it's the moment that God gets personal with us. Why did Jesus come if not to get personal with us? One of, the, one, of the, one of my favorite stories um, in the Bible is the Mount of Transfiguration. When God came to earth, he came to, bring, to put human form to God so that he could be a high priest to us that understands our weakness. Everything about Jesus coming is about a, a holy and righteous God looking on an earth and a planet and a human race that should be judged. But instead of judging, he says, no, I'm going to go down and feel what it feels like to be human so I can relate to them and then give his life for us. I think that's something incredible. And when Jesus came to earth, he's, he's doing his thing, and then he goes up to the mountain and he takes three of his disciples with him. Um, when, when they get there a cloud comes down and envelops them all. And then to their very big surprise, Moses and Elijah show up talking to Jesus. It kind of just matter-of-factly says it in the Bible. And then Moses and Elijah were there, like, as you do. <laughs> you know, if Abraham Lincoln started walk through the door and started talking to us, we'd be freaking out if you knew who he was. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for Moses and Elijah to show up, it's like a really freaky thing because the last thing we read about Moses was God buried him himself 
way back before the, the people came into Israel. So he was buried by God, and now he's showing up here. Elijah was taken away in a, in a chariot way back, a thousand years earlier. And now he's showing up here on the mountain. That's a freaky thing. And we know it's freaky because Peter is overwhelmed so much that he just starts rambling. Uh, blah, blah, blah. This is cool. This, there's Moses and Elijah, of course. There's Moses and Elijah, and he's talking to Jesus, and there's this big cloud. And then to top it all off, a voice speaks from heaven. This is my son. I sound really scary <laughs> in theaters near you. This is my son. Listen to him. That's got to freak anybody out. And when you're there, when you're there, can you imagine being in that moment? Thunder, lightning, the cloud, voice from heaven, Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. We say dumb stuff when we're confronted with spiritual things we don't understand. He said, he said dumb stuff. He said, um, hey, this is cool. Shall I make some shelters for us all while we're up here? You know, and, and would you like fries with that? <laughs> uh, think about the first time you saw, like, really con controversial stuff in church, in Christian things. I remember when the laughing thing came to New Zealand. Who remembers that? When people were, you know, Bill Gothard and, and uh, Rodney Howard Brown and them, they would come to the town and, and they'd, they'd, people would be falling over laughing. And there was this whole, like, radio shows were going silly, talk shows. People were calling in. That's not of God. No, it is of God. Yeah, there was all this controversy because we don't understand some things until we've experienced them personally. And here they were, up here, see, man, you know, this incredible, some of the things we say. I remember... Um, a time when minor chords were evil. Remember that? People that didn't understand music, didn't understand, so over-spiritualized stuff, and they say dumb stuff like, minor chords are evil, because they sound sad. There was, a, there was a conference in Auckland that we went to. I was telling the worship guys yesterday, there was a conference in Auckland that we went to once um, where uh, the, the 3,000 people filled the Logan Campbell Center, intelligent people, listening to a guy, a theologian, speak about life. And a lot of his stuff was really awesome. He had this full hardcover printed book. It was printed beautifully. It was like a really, really big thing, international. And he stood on the stage in front of all these people and said, drums are evil because they come from Africa. The things we say in church. What are the dumb stuff that you're thinking? Because you heard it from your father or from your elders, or from your old church. It's incredible the dumb stuff we say when God is not personal. When we don't understand it. When we haven't personally experienced God. And there they were, not personally experiencing God. They, there was just too much. They just couldn't understand it. So they say dumb stuff, and then they just they got so overwhelmed, they just knocked out. Uh, uh, shelters, uh, fries, uh. You know what I mean? And then they're down, and they're down. And I can see Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah, who were probably there just to kind of check how the mission was going. You know, hey, how's the job going? Yeah, yeah, we're about to sign off. You know, uh, it's, going, it's going pretty good. Although the people that you gave me to work with, eh, average. You know? And so I can see them. Jesus looks at them and says, oh, no, look at that. They freaked out. They've fallen over. They can't handle this. Hey, Father, Moses, Elijah, you guys back off for a second, would you? 
They obviously can't handle you. So they back off. He goes over. He, he picks them up, and they look at him. And the Bible says it in this way. All they saw was Jesus. When we can't handle God, Jesus is our interface. When we can't comprehend God, Jesus is our way of understanding him. God is so big. He is so holy. He is so righteous. It's no wonder it says no man can look upon his face and live. And yet through Christ, we can boldly walk into the presence of God because of what he's done. When God gets personal, he sends himself in the form of Jesus so we can have a personal saviour. I think so much of what we've done in the church today has been um, wrecked by dumb thinking. And most of that thinking is intellectualism or postmodern thinking. Our psychology is too clever. We try to explain stuff away without experiencing it first. We get so, so clever for our own boots, and I reckon we've, we've kicked ourselves in the butt with all our fancy thinking. Um, some of the parenting things that I'm seeing, because it's so, so clever, the anti-smacking things, just, just without getting too political. <clears throat> I, remember, I remember seeing this. Oh, no, I better not get into it. <laughs> I remember seeing these, like, seeing, oh, if, you, if you're these parents, I remember seeing parents um, counting to their kids. One, two, three, and then the, the consequence would come. And I'm thinking, if they can obey on three, why can't they obey on zero? Because what happens after three? They get some consequence. If the consequence happened after zero, they'd obey at zero. Right? Instead, what are we doing? We're teaching them, oh, I've got three seconds to disobey. We're training them to do that. So when they're running out towards the road and a car's coming, we say, hey, stop. Oh, that's all right. I've got three seconds before I have to stop. <laughs> awesome. Modern thinking. Oh. <laughs> I just lost half the audience right now. <laughs> it's too easy to lose the person of Jesus when we come to theology with intellectual arguments. It's got to be personal. Colossians 2 verse 8, I read that this morning, it's, it's amazing. I think it just says straight out, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Philosophizing is good, but see to it that no one takes you captive by it. And empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Christ is our foundation, the personal saviour, a personal Jesus. He has got to be. I think postmodern thinking is our Tower of Babel. It's when man tries his, with his own effort to reach God, and we deny him, and we deny that he exists by building up a big city and saying, this is who we are. Look at our identity. Look at who we've established for ourselves. Look at what we've established for our own identity. It's arrogance that says we can get by this life without God. It's ridiculous. And it's arrogance to think that we can explain him away. There is no God because we are, we are, we are ourselves. We are God. When it comes, when it, man, uh, and this changes when it gets personal. 
it changes. When, when God is out there, you, he's no different to any other God. The one thing that makes our God different to every other religion is, religion is Jesus, the personal God. We just got over Easter. Um, we had our Easter time uh, at home, and we had, a, we had a real good time on Good Friday, which I, I still wonder why it's called Good Friday, because for Jesus it sucked. <laughs> Maybe we should call it that, Suck Friday. <laughs> so we were having our Suck Friday, and, um, and we, did, we pulled out the hot cross buns and the coffee, and we had the family, and we were sitting around the table thinking, hey, we should acknowledge Jesus, and we should you know, celebrate what he's done, and um, and I, I couldn't help but think, hey, we should, we should do something spiritual here. And so I pulled out the Bible. I went to Isaiah 53, uh, which, is, um, which is the verse that says, uh, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And in the, uh, especially in the King James, the way he says that, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Smitten by God and afflicted, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Who even knows what chastisement means? <laughs> and by his stripes we are healed. We've heard those verses. We've heard them a lot, right? Easter time is a time that we throw them out there. Well, it's, it's, not, until the, it's not until I listen to, and my mother introduced me to, Handel's Messiah. That, I, that these verses really came alive to me. Because when they sing them, they sing them like really long. It takes like five minutes to get through one verse. Because they sing the words really slow. Surely, surely, he hath borne our griefs. <sighs> and carried our souls. Hey. Man, if I, <clears throat> if I didn't have a cold, I'd try that in full voice. So, oh. Hey, it makes the words stand out. Surely he's borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. When he gets there, he was wounded. He was wounded for transgressions right all of a sudden we start to feel it man he was and when we're listening to this he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement the punishment of our peace was upon him and those words were ringing out. You know, we were playing Handel's Messiah and, and eating hot cross buns and drinking coffee, kind of happiness with tears. Coffee and tears. Doesn't that sum up Easter? <laughs> it's Good Friday where we remember what he's done and we take the time to feel it before getting to Sunday. If we don't go through Friday, we can appreciate Sunday. If we don't understand... Who's seen the movie The Passion? Remember when the passion came out? Man, I, I, I remember thinking, I'm not going to go see that. I know what happens in that. It's going to be horrible. I don't, need to, I don't need to go see that to feel it again. I know what he went through. 
But because everybody was talking about it, I thought, oh, yeah, in order to be part of the discussion, I'd better go see it. And then I was sitting in the theatre thinking, what was I thinking? <laughs> I don't need to be reminded of this. I know what he went through, and I'm, my heart is bleeding, and I'm crying, and I'm just feeling every step. And I thought, oh, well, ultimately, I guess it's a good thing to go through and really feel it again, but then to remember, but Sunday's coming. The resurrection, he came back to life. And the movie kind of finished, and I remember getting to the end of it and just feeling like, oh, flip, man. And seeing somebody that we recognize in the theater, and it was one of those kind of, um, one of those kind of, you saw them and you were like, you know, you didn't want to go, hey. <laughs> it was like everybody was somber as. And, and she was sitting there and just kind of stayed in the theater, sitting down. And I was like, as you walked out, because it was like flipping heck, just to be reminded of what he went through to set us free. It's not until you start, to, you start to see what he did that it gets personal. Christianity doesn't mean anything until it's personal. Because Jesus went through that, so why? Jesus went through that so that he could feel what it's like to be us. He was a, he was a holy God. He had no idea what it was like to, be what, to, to live a life that we lived until he came in the form of one of us, went through exactly what we went through. And it says now we have a high priest who, who knows what it's like to struggle with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like. That way he can empathize with us and therefore bring healing and bring redemption. This Jesus, man, came to us so that we could live again, our interface with God. So what's our response? Well, first of all, we, we come into his presence and we say, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for that. The real big deal. Real big deal just to come in and say, hey, before we ask for anything, let's just say thanks. Like I said before, it's just common courtesy. I hate to walk into his presence every day and say, hey, thank you. That's, there's so much power in just saying thank you. It makes you humble. It makes you grateful. It breaks your pride. It breaks your guilt. It breaks all of that stuff and, 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 and positions you in a place to then go out and do something for him. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus came to earth, sure, he, I, I kind of split his, his mission, if you like, into two phases. The first phase was just growing up. The first phase was the longest one. He had to grow for 30 years. So he came to the planet... He was born as a baby, and then, and then he spent 30 years just growing up. Of course, he had the small task of not sinning. <laughs> 30 years without sinning. We can't do it. So he did it, and he did it great. And then he gets to the end of that time, and he comes over the hill uh, to where John the Baptist is baptizing, and it's about time. God says, all right, now's the time. I want you to go out and start ministering. But he had to go through that time. He had to go through 30 years of growing up so they knew what it was like to be us, right? Yes? Yeah. So he's feeling, now he knows what it's like to be one of us. He, he, he decides to go into ministry. It's time for him to go into ministry. But before going into ministry, he goes and gets baptized. What's that about? He's the only guy on the planet that has the right, is qualified to not have to be baptized. And yet, as an example to us, he goes down and puts himself under the waters of baptism. 
He goes to John, and John goes, Behold the Lamb of God, here he comes, who takes away the sins of the world. He knows who he is. John, he comes up to John, and John says, Cuz, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, It's appropriate. I love that. It's appropriate. It's appropriate if he's going to be an example to us to give his life in service for God and minister, he first has to go under the waters of baptism and die to the old self. If he did it, how much more should we? To put ourselves under the waters of baptism, to say, Lord, everything that I have, everything that I own is yours. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everything that I have, everything that I own is yours. You just think about that. Is every second of every day God's or is it yours? Every gift that you have, does it belong to him? Here's a tough one. Every dollar you have, does that belong to God? Man, I, 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 that's, that's a tough question. Every resource that you've spent in your life building up, does that belong to God or does it belong to you? Have you truly surrendered all? Jesus did it. He went down under that water and he didn't have to. But he said, no, Father, this is what I've come here for. So I'm going to fulfill my mission. I'm going to give you everything. And then he came up out of the waters and God did an extraordinary thing. It pleased God so much that he, he spoke from heaven and said, this is my son. Man, I love... That's got to freak you out again. Another voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. I love him. He's so proud of him because of what he's done that then he comes up out of the water and, he, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and there it remains on him. Now, <clears throat> we're told in the Bible that the Holy Spirit was, was in him since he was in the womb. So what's the difference between the Holy Spirit being in you and on you? What's the difference between the Holy Spirit being in you and on you? Well, he's in you for you. He's in you to help you grow. He was in Jesus to help him grow and live a sinless life. He's in you to help you know who you are. He's in you to establish your identity in him, to give you grace and empowerment, to, to, to conquer sin and to get over and to know who you are in him. But he's on you for somebody else. He's on you for somebody else. When you decide to take everything that, is, that he has given you and minister that to somebody else, you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do that. I mean, I, I often see that the only other place where a dove is used in an analogy is in the story of Noah. And when you look at Noah, Noah sends out a dove to look for a dry place to land. And if the dove can't find a dry place to land, he comes back to the one who sent him. And it's an analogy of, I think the Holy Spirit is looking for ministers to be able to minister what, we've, what he's given us, to minister it to someone else. And the Holy Spirit is out looking around the planet for a safe place to land so that then he can minister to other people. But if he can't find anybody, he returns to the one that sent him. And of course, our question is, are you a safe place to land? Jesus was a safe place to land because, and he showed God that. He showed his Father. Even though he was righteous, he laid himself down, put himself unto death, and then raised up. And then God gave him the Holy Spirit. Yes? 
And now he asks the same of us. Will we put ourselves down? Will we surrender ourselves? Will we put ourselves under those waters? Will we take up our cross daily so that then the Holy Spirit sees us as a safe place and he can pour the Spirit out onto us as well so that he can minister through us? I think a lot of people are called to ministry, but we fail because we're either trying to do it in our own strength or we just, we just get lazy and don't. We keep it all to ourselves. What is the purpose of you as a church? Church is not just for us. The collection of Christians coming together, it's, 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 there's a bunch of reasons for it, but one is to, to enable you and to equip you to minister to somebody else. I think it's an amazing thing. We get, to, we get the privilege and the honor of gathering together every week. So we can honor God, so we can worship God, we can join with one another, have a Christian community that gets together and says, praise God for what he's done. But then it turns, there's the second purpose, get out there and tell somebody else. I think some of us are just taking half the equation. And then we go back to our lives where we're, we're, we're kind of, it's half and half. I'm studying so I can be this, so I can do this, so I can what? I'm working, I've been building my business, I've been doing this so I can what? Live a comfortable life? It's really scary when somebody comes back from India. I hate it when people come back from India. Because <laughs> they confront us with things like that. They confront us with the reality of our comfort. Man, we spent time in, in Africa. We spent time in places confronted with our own comfort and we're like shocked every time. And everything in me wants to deny it, it's there. Please don't send me to India. You know? Because we don't want to be confronted with that. But how about we confront ourselves? Come on, let's challenge ourselves. God is asking you as a church just to get together and pray. He's not asking you to go to India. He's just asking you to come to church on a Tuesday night and pray for an hour and a half. <laughs> how many of you are willing to make that kind of commitment? You don't have to think about it. You don't have to think, what kind of ministry am I going to do? God's given you a word already. Build a house of prayer. I think that's, pretty, that's, a, pretty, that's a pretty easy plan. Pretty clear strategy. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think about it. You don't even have to organize it. You just have to show up. <laughs> How hard is that going to be? There's no cross in that. Well, that was rough. Had to try and fit that in before my rugby practice. <laughs> you did say make yourself comfortable, make yourself at home. So I just thought I'd, uh, yeah. Put that. <laughs> I've been listening to a, um, a bunch of Ravi Zacharias stuff lately, and he, he tells the story of, um, of when he went to Auschwitz. He says, oh, no, I've been to, I've been to concentration camps before, and this guy says, no, 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 this is a death camp. It wasn't a concentration camp. He says, um, he went there and he was, he was immediately confronted with um, these gas chambers at which they dispensed of 12,000 Jews per day. And he said the, enorm the enormity of that, the, the evil in that, just hit him because now he was standing in the room we hear about it from afar, and it doesn't mean anything until it becomes personal. When we hear about other tragedies, we, we, we don't think about it until it affects us. Right? And how selfish are we often? 
We hear about a car accident and we go, oh no, I hope that's not going to screw up my, my, my drive to work. Right? Especially in Auckland. Oh no, those poor people, whatever. It's like, oh no, I'm going to take another route. As simple as simple as we take a photo, we judge a photo by how we look, not by anybody else. Hey! You go, oh, delete that. Everybody else might look awesome, but you look pretty dodgy. You say, oh, delete it, delete it. You go, don't post that. <laughs> that just shows how inherently selfish we are. And so Jesus has come to show us a different way. And it's not until we are confronted with somebody else's hurt that, that, it, that it stops becoming theory and starts becoming personal. He said he was at this death camp and he went and got confronted by the stuff and was like, you know, shredded. And he's, and he's looking into rooms and he's seeing kids' suitcases with their toothbrushes. And, and he goes, he, they walked back past the gas chamber room and he said as he was walking past, a couple of people came running out and just burst into tears on the porch. These people that were now confronted with it because now it's becoming in, into their reality. He tells another story of a... Of a, um, a, a, a he's talking to this university student... Um, about morals, morality. And he gave this example, and he said he was, he was talking to a lady who works in the sex trafficking business and uh, industry, sorry, and uh, it's pretty horrific, but she, she said she had just been in this place where at the end of the day, these men would come and they would pay for whatever they wanted, but in order to, to sear their consciences, they would drink this concoction of hard liquor and snake blood. They would drink this stuff, it would, it would just send them into this euphoric state where they couldn't be responsible for what they were doing, and then, of course, they would get whatever they paid for. And what made him sick to his stomach was that this lady had just said, hey, I've just come back from there where I rescued an 18-month-old baby girl. Straight out of the arms of a man who was having his way. You've got to be kidding me. What kind of, what kind of moralities is, does that leave us with? We hear about that and we think it's sick. But somehow in our postmodern thinking, we ask this question, what is morality? And so he's asking this of this university student and says, what, do you think that's immoral? And the guy kind of kicks, kicks the carpet and looks, at, looks up and says, well, I wouldn't like to see it, but I can't honestly say that there's anything morally wrong with that. This is our modern generation. And then Ravi says, sure, what if it was your baby girl? See, it doesn't become real until it gets personal. I bet your modern, modern thinking changes when it becomes your baby girl. We say, no, we shouldn't, we sh we sh everybody should be free to have their own morals until, w will you give that freedom to someone else when they want to take it out on you? One kid says, why are you so afraid of subjective morality? He says, do you lock your doors at night? <laughs> he says, you're afraid of object subjective morality. Why do you have insurance? Because we're afraid of somebody else choosing, taking their own morals in their own... You know what the Bible says about that? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We read that statement. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And those are the times where God was explained away. It's not right. We don't do what's right in our own eyes. We do what's right in God's eyes. 
And the only way we do that is by, is by making God personal. How can we see through God's eyes? By becoming one with him. We, we want his heart. We want his eyes. We want to know what he feels for a world out there. In order for him to feel for us, he had to become one of us and came and lived amongst us. In order for us now to do the same for a world that's hurting out there, we need to go out there and feel for them. I reckon there's, there's so much in the word empathy. There's so much in the word empathy. To stop feeling for yourself and start to feel for somebody else. If only we could see the hurt in somebody else. We wouldn't judge them. Instead, we'd love them. It's not until you've been in their shoes. See, why, why do people have compassion on others? When, they, when, when you can relate to somebody. When someone stands here and gives a testimony, and you can relate to it because you've walked through it, it means more to you. Right? We've got a whole church full of people with testimonies here that could go out there and relate to somebody else. If you would just lay yourselves down once again. Lay yourselves down. Uh, I heard about a guy named Father Joseph Damien in Hawaii. Um, He was a Belgian priest who was working with people in Hawaii with leprosy. Uh, He did a lot of awesome work there, and in doing so, when he was working with all these people, uh, he actually caught leprosy himself and um, and died of it. Um, The the Belgian government said, hey, man, this guy's a real hero, so we want him back. But the people in the island said, no, we want him to stay here. We want want him here because he meant so much to us, because he was the one that came and worked and lived amongst us and even took on our own sickness and died from it. If that's not an analogy of Jesus, you know, what is? And, and, but because the Belgian government said, no, but he's a hero to us, we want him back. And they said, can we at least, I know it sounds pretty sick, but can we at least cut off his arm and have his arm here? And to this day, his arm is buried in Hawaii as a reminder, as a memorial to what he did there. So people look, imagine 2,000 years later, if we start arguing over whether that guy actually did that or not. Or we start arguing over the the morality of it. Or whether he even existed. We we argued over the philosophical justification of someone giving their own life for the reason of him coming in the first place. The reason he went there from Belgium to Hawaii was compassion. And how arrogant of us, years later, to then deny that he ever did that. But that's what we do to Jesus. That's what we do to Jesus. And I bet if you were confronted with somebody who was, in, who was now a direct descendant from somebody who was saved by him, they would get very, very, very emotional about it. How dare you stand there and tell me that he didn't do that? I'm a direct descendant of it. And that's us as Christians now. We can say, hey, don't you tell me that Jesus didn't come. I'm a direct descendant. He's personal to me. I won't talk about God like a philosophical idea. I will talk about Jesus as my personal friend because I spoke to him this morning. That's what it's got to be. He's got to be real. And when you're in the presence of a real Savior, a real Jesus, that's the Jesus you take out there. And no one can argue against that. 
personal testimony. Would you surrender your life once again in his example? Following his example, even now, just close your eyes. Would you surrender your life to him as he put himself under the waters of baptism? Would you once again give your whole life to him? Your studies, your work, your relationships, your money, every second of your time, would you once again say, Lord, my life is not my own, but it is yours. My will, I surrender to your will. Lord, every resource that I have, Every gift that I have, I give to you and the building of your kingdom. How dare I take any of that back? Lord, use me for your kingdom. Just as Jesus took the Holy Spirit on him and ministered, and he went out and said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach the gospel, to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, there's a world of brokenhearted people out there, and we want to be able to minister to them. So, Lord, anoint us. If this is speaking to you personally right now, you want to make a real personal decision from this day forward, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? You raise your Thank you. So I just want to pray. I just want to pray for those people that raise their hands. You know it's a day for you. It's a day where you decide, no, today I'm going to re-surrender. I'm going to resubmit every resource that I have, every gift that I have. Thank you. Somebody else, thank you. I know that it's thank you. I know that there are people here. You've, maybe you've, you've been spending all these years building something, building your own stuff, and you've taken some stuff back, and it's time. No, Lord, I've forgotten. Thank you. I've forgotten. This is yours. It's not for my glory. It's not for my empire. It's not for my comfort. I want to go into ministry, whatever that may mean. Thank you. Yes, I will pray for you. Just give me, I know there's more. Somebody in here, I know. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, yes. Thank you for your hand. Thank you for your surrender. And let's pray together. For every person that raised their hand, this is prayer. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for your church. Thank you, Lord, for your example. That, Lord, you put yourself in our shoes, literally. That you came to earth to feel for us. And, Lord, you were an example to us. Lord, you laid down your life and surrender to your Father so you could minister to a hurting world. And so, Lord, for every person that raised their hand, that opened their lives, that opened their heart right now in this moment, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint them with your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, you would speak to them in a, in, a, in a way they've never heard before. That as they have laid their hearts down now, today, this morning, may it be a fresh baptism. A fresh baptism. As we surrender every resource, every dollar, every second, every dream, as they surrender each one of those things to you this morning, Lord, and, and we see it put to death, raise them up out of water and anoint them with your Holy Spirit. Come and descend upon them and remain on them, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, and as a church, we come to you together, collectively. Lord, let, let there be a new wave of ministry coming from this place. 
Let there be a brand new wave of power flowing through this place as they come together to pray and to build a house of prayer for you. Lord, may that usher in a new wave of ministry of your Holy Spirit, a new wave of power in Jesus' name. Lord, a new intercession that leads to a new wave of, of a new influx of new Christians. Lord, let this room be filled with so many more. I see expansion happening. Expansion, Lord. Knock out the back wall and let's make some more seats. Let's build this place because it's going to be a house of prayer that turns into a filled house with new Christians. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, would you stand to your feet? Let's just start lifting him up. Lord Jesus, we lift you up in this place. Let this place be a sanctuary of your Holy Spirit, a sanctuary of your presence. Father, we honour you, Lord. Lord Jesus, and it's in this place that we want to meet you. It's in this place that we want to experience a moment of your presence, Lord. Just open yourselves up to saying stuff to people just receive him just receive his word what he's saying a new surrender a new level of surrender man I, and I started I started this by saying Jesus is building his church and I feel it really strongly he's building his church and there's been a huge, I'm not even sure if you understand, but in the last year, there's been a massive change. But it, there's more. There's so much more. And all he's looking for is people to say yes. Just someone to say yes. Yes, I'll do what you say. Yes, I'll come to prayer. Yes, I'll, I'll minister. Yes, I'll come and move the seats. Yes, I'll drive something. Yes, I'll make something. Just yes. Just say yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. And it's amazing what He can do with a unified people who put, this, who put their minds together, who put their voice, who with one voice says, yes, Lord, we'll do as you say. Man, I, I really want to, I, I love Sheridan and Jan. I love your pastors. I love what they're doing here. And I think they're, they've brought a word. <laughs> they've brought a word of God and a change to this place. It's been pretty incredible. And I know that there's a strong word on you guys, and I just feel it. I just feel it really strong. I don't even know what to do now. I just feel it really strongly. Like if your people, if you guys as a church would get behind them and just say, yes, let's align with a vision that's, got, that God's, that, that's God given. We can build a house of prayer. Man. Okay, just one more time. Would you just, uh, would you open up your voices? Would you yeah, lift up your voices and just say, yes, Lord, I will do as you say. I'll give my life over to you one more time. One more time.
thank you. Can I do a shameless push of some of the stuff that's out on the table there? Just um, not, not, to, not to get all dodgy on it or anything. Um, when we said yes to the Lord, you can take your seats for a second. When we said yes to God, um, we had no idea what we were getting into. But it's amazing when you say yes, what he, what he leads you to. We were, we were just two um, dumb teenagers, really, that knew nothing and had no qualifications and, and, and were really destined for a life of um, uselessness <laughs> until we said yes. <laughs> Um, I could see I could see where my life would be if I hadn't said yes to God, and uh, and both of us are just are amazed at what God's been able to do, just just by saying yes. I, we would never in a thousand million years take any credit for what God's done. We just we just give glory to Him for what He's done, and um, and some of that you can you can see in these books. This is why He He kind of led us to write about it. My, my one of my, the most inspiring people in my life is my wife, and and. To see this little girl who was—I I told the story yesterday about a little story. Uh, we had a guy come to come to our school who's a real prophet, and he's got this gift of interpreting dreams, uh, which is like a you know pretty out there thing. And as he was talking about it, um, everybody was like, "Whatever," <laughs> you know. And so he said, "Hey, well, has anybody had a dream?" And nobody wanted to say anything. They were like, "Shame." Uh, so Libby said, "Oh, okay, all right, I'll give it a go." I had a dream when I was four years old, um, and it was just, uh, you know, she was trying to not trick him, but just kind of, a, it was, she just thought it was a bit of a joke, you know? So she said, all right, I had a dream when I was four years old. I saw, uh, and it was like laughing, he got, there was a whale in my lounge, right? And we were like, <laughs> and he goes, wait, was it a big whale or a small whale? Because <laughs> it makes a difference, apparently. <laughs> and he goes, whale in the lounge, she goes, oh, uh, well, it's a small whale, it was in my lounge. Um, and, then, and then she said, yeah, and there was a witch outside lighting a fire on the steps. He goes, were the steps, to the, were the front steps or back steps? He goes, well, it was the path that led around to the back steps. We were like, oh, yeah, he goes, this is what your dream means. You, you, since four years old, you've known you've had a destiny for an international ministry of intimacy. We're like, whoa. He goes, whales don't swim in local waters. They swim in international waters. So it's always signified an international ministry. And intimacy because he's in your lounge, in your cozy home. And the devil has been trying to stop you and trying to get at you, but he can't get at you through the front door, so he's trying to get you through the back door. Hey, we're all like, oh, wicked. Everyone's like, I had a dream. <laughs> hey, the whole class. And then you just went through everybody. Nailed it. I, I love it because that little girl, four years old, she had that dream. And now, well, I mean, we all love Libby because of her worship leading and the singing, but it's the intimacy with God that's going on around the planet. And that girl wrote a book about her intimate walk with God. And I, I recommend that to everybody. Um, when a worship leader writes a book on worship, you think, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's what the, that's what the book, the publishing company said. Um, God gave me this book like really fast. It just it was a real super revelation. It was like, wow. And then um, I gave it to my, one of my spiritual dads, who's a guy named Bishop Joseph Garlington in the States. And he passed it on to uh, someone in his congregation that was like a secretary to the head of a publishing company. And when the acquisitions guy called me, he said he read it. And he said, um, normally we wouldn't take any a book written by first 
uh, someone young, I went, thank you very much. He goes, a musician, no way would we ever take that. And particularly a first-time author. So it's three counts. He said, you were out. But I read this and he says, this book has to get out there. I've never read a book on worship like it. This, I, I really believe it's God-given for this season and for right now. Can I recommend that to you out there, out on the table? And then we've got some uh, music out there which you can go ahead and get. Um, God bless you. Thank you so much for having us in your church. We'll see you tonight. Fantastic. Thank you, Wayne. I was talking to a guy yesterday, actually, funny enough, about surrender. And um, he, was, he was telling me a story of his friend who had been um, a very wealthy man. And for whatever reason, reasons beyond his control, he had lost all of the wealth. And uh, he was commenting to me, he was so taken back on his friend's attitude because he said to his friend, that must have been terrible. How did you get through that? You've lost so much. And his friend looked at him and said, I haven't lost a thing. I never had anything to lose. He said, I surrendered it a long time ago. I thought, wow. Fantastic, eh? Why don't you jump to your feet? Let's pray. Thank you again, Wayne. Wayne and Libby are going to be with us tonight. It'd be great. Why don't you come? Bring a friend. Bring a neighbour. Bring someone to drive past on the footpath. Be good. Oh, Father, I thank you that you've spoken to us today. Lord, we receive what we've heard as words from heaven. And I pray that our hearts are open to not only hear you, but to hear you. And to respond to you. Father, my prayer is that wherever, whenever, we will be like Jesus. That we will surrender our lives to you that we will be your hands and your feet your mouthpiece that we will display your character and your attitudes and to do that we need help so we ask for help and Lord when we muck it up I ask that you'd help us get back up quickly and go again and again and again Father help us be those who Mark Hamilton with the thumbprint of the kingdom of God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we finish, I'd like to receive an offering this morning. I really want to be able to bless Wayne and Libby as they, as they go. They've blessed us. They've poured into us. I really want to be able to honour them. So if you could prepare yourself for that. Why don't we sing a song? Is everyone there? Shall we sing a song to finish? Or half a song or whatever you want to do? It'd be great. Have an awesome week. Do come out tonight. Now, what's on Tuesday night? prayer meeting. I would love to see you there. So it'll be in here. If you come at 7, you're half an hour early, just pray. We'll be here at 7.30. But you know what I mean. Come on, clap your hands. Breaking open every tide of mine Your love is breathing out into my life You take my burden and you make it light You make it light Bringing a sound that will break the night I choose to follow you for all my life I know that you are always by my side 
Bring some people. 
it's going to be good service. God bless.